Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Oh, it's so good to be with you guys and girls today. Thanks for having me back. I'm surprised Giles let me back after the first Jonah episode. Um, but when I spoke to Giles about the book of Jonah, it really challenged me, and it's been challenging me probably for a good, I don't know, six months or so. And I remember saying to Giles, I want to preach on Jonah. This, I can just so relate to Jonah. And I think he agreed. And he said, okay, you can preach on Jonah. And when I did come up here and I was preaching, there was just so much, it was so rich in teaching. And I thought, I'm not going to do it justice, just in the, first, in the first preach that I gave back in February. And I didn't even get to the whale part of the story. And Giles mentioned this to me, we were having a train, and, and he said, you know, how do you think it went? I said, no, it was okay, it was challenging. And he said, who preaches on Jonah and the whale and doesn't mention the whale part of it? <laughs> so, so that sort of stuck for a bit, and I thought, okay, all right, fair point, I'm going to come back and preach on the second part of Jonah. But what I'd also thought I'd do is I'd also share the first chapter again, different parts of the first chapter, because as I said, it's so rich and it so spoke to me. I thought, if it's speaking to me this way and challenging me, it has to be challenging to other people. And Giles agreed. So this morning, when I read this, please bear in mind that this is not just me preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself, I'm challenging myself, because God wants us all to go deeper, no pun intended, deeper with all of us, and it can be uncomfortable, it has to be challenging, Jesus challenged people all the time, Giles, you know, everyone, all the preachers, we challenge, you know, I don't stand up here because I want you all to like me, or to think, you know, nice guy, I want you to go away forgetting about me but being challenged by Scripture because that's how we grow and that's how we move forward in Christ. And this year, I don't know about you, but I've really felt God challenge us, really felt it. And I think he wants to take us to another level you know, in our life, in our worship with him. But to do so, we have to go through storms. We have to go through challenges. We have to be challenged. So this morning... I've gone on already. I think that's five minutes out of the way. Um, I do intend to challenge you, but please bear in mind that I'm challenging myself when I do that. So you may recall in the first part, um, back in February, we were talking about Jonah's calling, which was the first chapter of the book. And instead of listening to God, Jonah decided to run from God. And I suggested that this is something that we can all do to some degree. We can all run from God. Yet Jonah's message teaches us all about the rebellious nature of man, how we all run from him, but how God, in his grace and mercy, pursues us. Jonah ran from God, but God pursues him, and he intercepts Jonah's self-destructive nature. So the core of Jonah's sin was that God gives him orders, and instead of obeying, he rebels and runs away from God. Look, the fact is, as I mentioned earlier, it's our nature to run from God. 
We see it right at the very beginning of the Bible. We see it with Adam and Eve. You know, God gave orders to Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree. What do they do? They rebel, looks good, has a bite, trouble. They get in trouble, they run. But then what does God do? He still pursues them. I mean, it's a lovely bit of scripture. He's walking in, I think, the cool of the day, it says. And he goes after them. He knows what they've done. But he pursues them and he clothes their nakedness. He is so good. So my challenge for you this morning is, do you want to walk with God or do you want to run from him? Do you want to walk with him or do you want to run from him? The thing is, you may have had a Christian upbringing but you can still have been running from God your whole life. You hear it a lot um, with those who have been brought up in religion. You know, I'm okay, I'm Jewish, or I'm okay, I was brought up a Catholic, or I'm okay, I'm this. But the truth is, that's just paying lip service. You can still be running from God your entire life and have a religious label. Is that you this morning? Is that you this morning? I want to challenge you with that. You may recall that I shared that I did this you know, very thing when I first started to work in London. I was 16, left school, working in the city, and I threw myself into absolutely everything you can imagine. All the vices of the city, the excess drink, the drugs, the relationships, got involved in witchcraft. I just totally rebelled against God. I didn't realize at the time that it was running away from God. I just thought this was just me. But I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew that, you know, I, I had the, the shackles of my mother's uh, discipline were gone. I was doing my own thing. And I, was, and I knew I was going in totally the opposite direction in which way I should be going. But it was pleasurable. The sin was fun. There didn't seem to be any repercussions at the time for me being such a young man. Then God sent a storm into my life. It was an intervention that was so dark and scary that took me a number of years of pain and suffering to teach me a lesson. And had God not intervened in that time when I was bound up in some bad stuff, I honestly don't know where I'd be today. I certainly wouldn't be standing up the front here. I'd either be in jail or I'd be in serious trouble. What I do know is that my lifestyle would have put me in a very, I would have been in a very dark place. But the good news is I decided to not run any longer. I ran into his arms and I was saved. I truly was saved. However, there were still a number of things that I had to surrender to God. Some of them didn't take too long, but others took an awful long time to overcome. And there's loads I still need to work on uh, today, you just need to ask Denise that. And most of you know me anyway, so you know I'm far from perfect. Um, before we get back to Jonah, I just want to say, look, have you truly surrendered to God, or are you running from him in certain areas of your life? Now, if you're a Christian, I'm not saying, have you surrendered all these things to be saved? I'm not, not saying that. But I'm challenging you on have you surrendered areas of your life that is stopping you from walking closely with God? Do you recognize these areas in your life? I said last time, and I love this, I can't claim this, because this is, this is from um, Tim Keller, so, but I'm going to say this, this is brilliant. 
He says the most profound kind of self-knowledge you can know is the particular strategy that you have for running and hiding from God. The most most profound kind of self-knowledge you can know is the particular strategy that you have for running and hiding from God. And everyone has those strategies. I know what my, most of my strategies, they normally involve football, PlayStation, training. It normally involves something, but yeah, I'm not, was that training? Football. It's so easy to get sucked into these things. Now, let me say, I'm not saying there's anything wrong in these things. Please hear my heart. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. You know, there's, you know, there's not, everything's not wrong with those things. But are they taking control of your life? Are they causing a barrier in your life? And if not careful, these, come, these things can become an idol. The thing is, how good is it when you spend quality time with God, when we are listening to what he's saying to us? I mean, I, I, wish, I, I wish I could turn that on all the time. Do you know what I mean? You know, you think, you know, I'm really going to run with God today, and you're praying, and things are happening, and you're moving in the spirit, you know, and all of a sudden there's a lot of providence, or something happens, you go, yes, Lord, and you want to go out and do it more and more. I wish I had that all the time, but I don't. I let other things come in and cloud what I should really be doing for God. Anyway, let's get back to Jonah. (laughs) I can go on, can't I? So Jonah was called to preach to Nineveh. We know that. We know Jonah rebels and runs away from God, totally in the opposite direction. But God pursues him and intervenes with a storm and a fish. So let's just quickly look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. So it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah gets his orders from God. He's told to go to Nineveh, that great city. But instead of obeying and going, he goes in totally the opposite direction. I don't know if you remember where Nineveh was compared to where Jonah wanted to go. If you remember, you had Nineveh, which is in the east, which is in modern-day Iraq, I think. And you had Tarshish, which is where he wanted to go which is in totally the opposite direction in Spain, modern-day Spain. He went down to Joppa, he got on a boat, and he wanted to go in totally the opposite direction. Didn't wanna, he didn't want anything to happen or anything good to happen to the Ninevites. He, didn't want, he rebelled and went totally the opposite way. So instead of trusting in God's goodness and wisdom, he ran. So Jonah had a choice. Do I take refuge in God's goodness or not? And we know he didn't. He went on a boat. To Tarshish. So why did he run away? Well, it does say later in the book of Jonah why uh, he did it. He tells us why he fled. And it wasn't because he was afraid, even though it was a rough place, Nineveh, and he had heard all the atrocities. He wasn't afraid to go, but he didn't want them saved. His heart was so hard, he didn't think they deserved salvation. He didn't think they deserved any goodness. He wanted them destroyed finished. He felt he was so much better than them. And they were wicked. We know they were wicked. And he definitely didn't want them, as I said, saved. He wanted God to destroy them. He didn't want grace. Didn't want grace. He wanted destruction. So he rebelled and ran from God. 
I don't know about you, but how many of us have, dare I say, felt a bit like that about other people? I don't want them to have good stuff. You know, they're horrible. They're nasty down our street. I hope they fall in their face. You know. Why are we laughing down the front? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, he, you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe the challenge was just me. But I think there is an element, if we're truthful in a lot of us, I'm not going to say everyone, in a lot of us, sometimes we don't want people. Why have they got such good things? They're horrible people. You know. But this brings us to the root of Jonah's disobedience. And what is it? Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. He's better than everyone else. And it says, so self-righteousness is this. It's defined as this. Someone who is confident in his own righteousness. They show superiority above all others, or they can't live with themselves. And if you recall, at the end of the book, Jonah said that he would rather die than see the Ninevites saved. I mean, that is serious stuff. I mean, I haven't gone that far. (laughs) There's been times when I've not been happy with my wife, Denise, but I've never gone that far. There's more times she's been unhappy with me, I can assure you, and you know that anyway. And, you know, and I put here, and this can also be the same for us Christians. We need to guard our hearts in how we see and treat other people. You know, be careful in how you talk about other people. Does it build them up or is it knocking them down? I remember a time, another lesson, I remember a time I was doing a Tough Talk, and I was young, I was, I'd only been in Tough Talk, if any of you don't know, it's a Christian charity, we lift weights and share the gospel, very basic, but then I'm very basic, we lift weights and share the gospel, and, I was, and there was a competition, and these two big Canadian lads come up, and they were young, but they were super strong, and I took a dislike to them straight away. And they were good looking. Everything. I was not a happy man. So I, I'm, you know, so my pride is going through the roof at this stage. And I'm thinking they're not going to show me up. So we're having a bench press competition. Well, these guys out benched me. And I, and I wasn't too pleased. So now I'm just, all I'm now doing is helping lifting the weights in for them while they're going for a bigger and bigger and bigger weight. And it got to, I don't know what it was at, it was a heavy weight. And the bar went down onto them. And he couldn't get it up. And he looked at me as if to say, you help. And I sort of held it there a little bit. And, sort of, and I, I sort of gave him a stare as if to say, yeah, see? And I remembered, I then, I sort of, okay, I lifted it up with the other guy. We pull it back. But the minute I did this, I kid you not, it was like a shock went through me, like a lightning bolt. And it was like the Lord was rebuking me. How dare you do that to my child? And it was scary. And I remember that to this day. And I thought, I'm never going to mess around like that again. It taught me a really valuable lesson. So how is your attitude towards others that are maybe outside your circle of friends? Are you showing them the compassion and love that we should? But Jonah, on the other hand, with all his religious upbringing and teaching, thought he knew best. He thought his righteousness made him better than the pagan Ninevites. But the truth is, it exposed his true colors. 
Now, I understand that Jonah did not know the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I get that, his love and his mercy. But Jonah didn't allow God to work in his life. He decided to run and rebel. But I challenged you last time whether you knew what the gospel is. You know, what is the gospel? The gospel is that everyone has fallen away from God. And it is only by the sheer mercy and grace of God that we can be lifted up and welcomed into his presence. Sheer grace. Sheer grace. There's nothing else or no one else that can save you. And if you know that, if you truly know that, then you cannot feel superior over anybody else like Jonah did. And more importantly... You'll want to serve God when he calls you to work for him and not run away. Do you remember, I shared this again last time, I remember Lizzie was up here and she was sharing about how there was 50 ethnic groups that had never heard of Jesus. Yet these missionaries heard from Jesus, they were told to go across seas and preach, and they went. And I just spoke to Lizzie before I came over, I think she said, there's only out of this these 50 ethnic groups, I think there's only like eight now that haven't heard the gospel message. Isn't that great? You know, they had a choice like Jonah, but they knew what grace was and they wanted to share the same grace that, there's, that they've received with those groups across the sea. And what happened? Lives were changed. Obedience. They didn't run. They listened and lives were saved. So if you feel superior to others, then let me challenge you that maybe it could be pride that blocks God's grace in your life. It was Jonah's pride that blocked God's grace into his life so he could not feel compassion for the Ninevites, and so he ran and got on a boat to Tarshish. So let's all be careful that pride doesn't block God's compassion in our life. So a little challenge, and I'm sure you all went to Sunday school. Maybe you didn't. Actually, I didn't come to think of it. Maybe it's a challenge for me then. So what did God do in Jonah's case to get his attention? What did he do? What did God do? What did he send? He sent a fish. What else? What come with the fish? Yeah, yeah, maybe. A storm. Storm on a, storm on a fish. I don't know whether it was a whale or not. I think it, it could have been a whale. It was big. We know that much. So God sends a storm. So why did God send a storm? Why did he send a storm? Because God needed an intervention to get Jonah's attention. It needed to be something serious. He needed to intervene to get his attention. And whenever we sin, whenever we disobey God, there's always a storm that will catch up with us. We see that Jonah is initially in the boat. He's sleeping. He's peaceful. His disobedience at this stage hasn't caught up with him. Sin always feels good to start with. I know that from first-hand experience. But if you're not careful, it can destroy you. Um, the Reverend Steve Lane says this. I like this. He says, in the New Testament, in Galatians, we're told that whatever a man sows, he will reap. Many believe that no one sees their sin and that, and that they will receive no consequences for them. The truth of the matter is that we cannot escape from our sins. A lapse of time will not annihilate it. Careful concealment will not hide it, and even repentance will not always avert all of its consequences. 
Believe it or not, the storm was good for Jonah. The storm was good for Jonah. He didn't see it at the time, like I didn't, but it was good for Jonah. Now look, this is a sensitive part, I get this. I understand that storms in your life can be incredibly painful, and not always because of sin in your life. Let me make that clear. It's not always because of sin in your life that there is a storm. But all storms can be a time to self-reflect at our lives and draw closer to God. All storms we can draw closer to God. It happened with me when my mum died and then my dad died shortly after, within a year. You know, it was a great opportunity for me to really dig deep in my faith. What do I believe? What do I stand for? I'm faced with death here. People I love, they died. Terrible deaths. My mum was horrendous. But it's a great opportunity to draw closer to God. And in that, I learned from God. I drew closer to God. And I started to change because of drawing closer to God. I could have gone the other way. I could have gone out drinking, getting smashed up. What's God done in my life? Look at the state of it. Uh, Mum's dead. Dad's dead. But I drew closer to God. And God speaks to you through the difficult times. Some of you had storms in your life that have seemed unfair. And why is this happening to me, Lord? Some of you are currently going through storms that you cannot see the way out of. And I just want to encourage you to seek God in the storm. Face up to anything that God may be highlighting in your life and do not give up. Trust him. He's good. He never lets us down. Someone wrote about Albert Einstein the following. As a child, he didn't start speaking until he was four, reading until he was seven, and was thought to be mentally handicapped. If he gave up and never persevered, his most important theories could have not been known. He went on to win a Nobel Prize and altered the world's approach to physics. So whatever storm you're in, don't give up. Pursue God. But remember that it's not the storm that turns you into a wise and changed person. It's not the storm. It's your response to the storm. How you respond to the storm will determine whether you become much harder or much softer, much wiser or not. So back to Jonah. And we read that this storm intervention worked. Jonah comes to his senses. He stops fleeing from the storm and takes responsibility for his actions. Now, there is a caveat here. And I was training with Nathan the other day. And I was saying, yeah, but Nathan, he, he came to his senses, Jonah, didn't he? You know, he was in the boat and... Uh, and he recognised that he'd done wrong, and he was going, and he wanted to throw himself into the sea because he knew that was going to save him. And Nathan said, well, "Hang on, didn't they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah?" It's like, yeah, that's a good point. So, so whilst he did stand up and take responsibility, there is a caveat there. You know, they did cast lots. They did say, well, "Hang on, Jonah, it's your fault, mate. What are you going to do about it?" So he did confess, but he did then take the next step. He said, I'm responsible. And then he tells the sailors what they need to do to be saved. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, he says. Then the sea will quieten down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So no excuses. He recognises that he sinned. He tells the sailors that in order to be saved, you've got to throw me into the sea. And this is his way of trusting in God in the situation. There are so many things you can learn just, just from that part of the book. There's two things that I want to share with you. 
So the first one, taking responsibility for your actions, not blaming others. We live in a culture where we, you know, it's so easy to blame everyone else except for ourselves. And the second one is, there are consequences for your actions. Jonah's storm had not just endangered his life, but everyone else on the boat. And not only that boat, any other boats in the area. And not only that, everyone in Nineveh. You know, if he didn't do that and still rebelled, everyone would have died. It just goes to show that there's consequences for your actions. And that's the same, you know, there's a situation recently with our family where somebody just caused a bit of an issue. Even though we weren't directly involved in that, it affected us. It affected my children. It goes to show there's consequence and actions for things. It's not just you that it affects. I mean, personally, I know I've done some stupid things over the years that have affected a lot of people. Another example was Denise said to us, <laughs> Denise, sorry, I shouldn't laugh at me own there. Uh, Denise said, Joe, go out and get another car. We've got one car we've got to take. You know, I use it all the time. You know, we've got the boys now. We need to do runs, and we just can't do it in one car. So we saved up, and I went out to get a car, and I came back with a single-seat Harley-Davidson. Lacking in wisdom. I mean, yeah, I thought I looked great on it. I was fooled. Oh, my days. What a stupid thing. Two years I had that until I come to my senses. And then I did get a car, I'm, I'm pleased to say. But look, consequences and actions. Again, that didn't just affect me. That affected the kids, the wife. Anyway, back to Jonah. So what happened? He was thrown overboard. A big fish came and swallowed him up. And he was in the belly for three days. But just when he must have thought it was all over, there was forgiveness, there was salvation found in the strangest of places in the sea. And without knowing it, and without knowing it, Jesus, or Jonah, wrong character, Jonah was, talking, was walking in the footsteps of Jesus, who says hundreds of years later, and I love this in Matthew, he says, for just as Jonah was in was there three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus, like Jonah, was a substitute. We read in the book of Jonah that Jonah substituted himself for the lives of the pagans, albeit with a caveat. And Jesus, who didn't deserve to die, was the ultimate substitute for the whole world and was thrown into the wrath of God so that all our sins would be paid for. Our God knows what storms are like. He faced his father's wrath when he was nailed to the cross for us and took all of our sins on his shoulders. The wrath and judgment that we should have received fell onto Jesus. What a merciful, what a merciful God we serve. So then Jonah 1 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I've totally lost track of time. How am I getting on? Keep going, right. Not if you do that, not that, fine. Okay, that's good. So let's just quickly read part of Jonah's prayer when he was in the belly of the fish. So this is in chapter 2. It says, this is the last part of, of his prayer. When my life was slipping away, I remembered God, and my prayer got through to you, made it all the way to your holy temple. Those who worship hollow gods, 
God frauds walk away from their, eat from their only true love. But I am worshipping you, God, calling out in thanksgiving, and I'll do what I promised I'd do. Salvation belongs to God. And at that point, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. The point that Jonah was being taught by God is in the climax of that prayer, whilst he was in the fish. At, this, at the point Jonah gets it, he sort of repents from his self-righteous and religious ways, but now understands what grace is. And in the last passage of that prayer, he promises to obey God from that point on. And it's then that the fish releases him. All of this has been sent by God to get Jonah to this point of him recognizing what grace is. So the lesson for us is that if Jonah can be blind to grace, we can also, to some degree, be blinded by the depth of God's grace. So let's not be like Jonah of the first chapter and not understand the grace and therefore bound up in self-righteousness and disobedience. Let's be more like the Jonah in chapter 2 with grace and obedience to God. Although he did have a terrible attitude when you read it, but he was obedient. So another question to you this morning, do you truly understand the grace of God? Because the day you understand the grace of God, you know you've become a Christian. You know you've become a Christian when you know the grace of God. It's challenging, but it says that in Colossians. It says this, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So Jonah finally goes to Nineveh to preach. And we read that when he got there, he preached. They all repented and turned from their evil ways. And God relented and didn't punish them for what they deserved. The Bible doesn't say what sins the Ninevites did. We just know that it was evil. Jonah didn't tell them how to respond. We just know that um, back in ancient days, the way of mourning and, and repenting was ash was, uh, was um, uh, ashcloth. Is that right? Ashcloth, sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. Maybe that's a hybrid. <laughs> sackcloth and ashes. Then we read that God showed incredible mercy to the Ninevites and didn't destroy them because they repented and turned from their wicked ways. Now, you'd have thought at this point, Jonah would have been happy. You'd have thought it had been overjoyed that all of that hard work, the fish, the lot, he's out, he's gone to Nineveh, he's told them to repent or they're going to be destroyed, and they're in mourning and repent. You'd have thought it had been, oh Lord, how awesome are you? But that's not what we read. It says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. Why on earth was Jonah angry? Because Jonah couldn't figure out God's love. Didn't understand the depths of God's love. The Ninevites had destroyed everything, committed genocide, all sorts of atrocities. But God relented when they repented. God's love was bigger than what Jonah believed. I mean, when he was in the fish's belly, he came to realize God's wonderful grace. But he didn't think that that should extend to the Ninevites. 
And the story ends with Jonah making a little makeshift booth with no door on it, no decent sun protection, scorching winds, and he's outside the city of Nineveh. And Denise said to me at this, when I was reading this to her, she said, why didn't he go home? Why is he still there? Why did he make a little hut and that will provide a big... Yeah. Why didn't, why didn't you... And I, I can only assume because he still was hoping that God was going to destroy Nineveh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he was sitting there, popcorn glasses, you know, waiting for... Okay, it probably wasn't popcorn. It might have been popcorn. It was hot. It was corn. I don't know why he didn't go home. He, I think he still wanted them destroyed. Honestly. But he was heating up. He was getting hot. He was burning up, the scripture said. And then it says that Jonah was very... That God provided, out of compassion, God provided a vine to give him shade for the scorching heat. And, and the scripture says Jonah was very happy about the vine. And clearly the vine was better than the shelter he had made. It brought comfort, blessing, and happiness to Jonah. But then we read, at dawn the next morning, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. Jonah woke up ready for another day of comfort, joy, blessing under the vine, only to find that the vine had been chewed up and withered. One day the vine brought comfort. The next day the worm brought sorrow. Loss, disappointment. So what is this telling us? I think that the last part of the story is telling us that God brought what we may see as tragedies into Jonah's life. But in reality, it was to to bring him to a point of understanding grace. To bring him to understand grace and not to rely on all these other things. And show him the depth of God's love. The point here is that our focus and trust have to be exclusively on God, who is totally in control, and not on what happens around us, whether good or bad. And to the extent that you trust God, will determine whether you will walk in obedience with God, or disobedience and run the other way. Romans 8 says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. God works in your life. And I believe scripture tells us that he monitors the flow of pains and troubles into your life. The timing of them, the proportion of them, the nature of them are all according to his purpose, just like it was Jonah. God loves and knows what's best for you because the truth is we don't. So to finish, to finish, Which Jonah are you going to be? Are you going to be the Jonah of chapter 1? Rebellious, believing you deserve a better life and walking in self-righteous? Or the Jonah towards the end of the book? Humbled, obedient, and obedient to his calling. Remember, there's no refuge from God. There is only refuge in God. And we read in the New Testament that Jesus is the only way to escape the ultimate storm of God's wrath. Because Jesus was the only person who was thrown into the storm of God's wrath. And because he was thrown into the storm of God's wrath, the storm of God subsided if we put our trust in Jesus. Now, I don't know where you guys and girls are, but if you want to... If you've been running from God, 
or maybe you want to draw closer to God, then I'm just going to ask you to... Let's, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's just pray together. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads. And if this is you, if God has spoken to you this morning, if you don't know God, if this is the first time you've ever heard a message like this and you're challenged because you've been running, this is for you. If you're like me and there's been things in your life that you've been putting in place of God and not hearing his voice, this is for you as well, just like it is for me. And I'm just going to pray. And I think let's all pray together at the end and say amen. And let's make a real commitment to hear from God, to walk and run with him because it is the best thing that we can all do. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the story of Jonah. I thank you that what just seemed a story for children many years ago is so much more than that. And And it challenges the heart of us Christians today. And I pray, Lord, if there's anything that's in my life that I put before you, I ask for forgiveness. I repent of my sins. Lord, I ask that that your word says, Lord, that if we draw close to you, that you'll draw close to us. And I pray for a new closeness to you. Forgive us, Lord, when we've ran in the opposite direction. Forgive us, Lord, when we've been caught up in stuff that we shouldn't. Forgive us, Lord, when we know that sin tastes good. But if we're not careful, a storm is round the corner. Lord, have mercy on us like you did Nineveh. Lord, I pray for this wonderful church. I pray for our pastors. I pray for everyone that's walked through the doors of this church today that we will draw close to you. We'll make a a, a new covenant with you today that we want to walk with you this day, our Lord and our Saviour. And Lord, we just lift all of our prayers up to you this morning, all as one body. None of us are any different in here. And we just say, Lord, be with us this morning. Forgive us and show us your grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.